Alchemy is an ancient practice associated with science, chemistry, physics, astronomy, astrology, art, symbology, methodology, medicine, and philosophical analysis. And despite that these sciences were not exercised in a scientific way as known today, alchemy is the origin of modern logic. Dear listeners, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to our first ever episode of The Alchemy of Truth. I actually had to focus on that because I was going to say Friday Night Live. Thank you all for listening, for coming in to tune into our show at this time. Uh, we're very excited to start our first show of the year with very um, awesome guests. So we started at the beginning of the year with Friday Night Live with different issues which I thought were, which were important for the Muslim community such as uh, the media. Um, we're going to also run a number of programs this year. We're starting with um, feminism, but we're also going to cover psychology, depression, urban legends as well. We're going to do a show about urban legends. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to also be listening to you guys. So um, we would, um, of course, uh, take all your calls. So if you have any calls, any contributions you'd like to make off-air or on-air, uh, the number is 9724-3355, and that's for Sydney, inshallah. If you like, you can also go to our Facebook page and leave any um feedback you have there our facebook page is facebook.com slash alchemy of truth no spaces and uh, you can also add us on uh, twitter which is just alchemy of truth so um we will start today's show or this evening's show um it's a um a much talked about uh, topic very um vigorously debated all over the internet and all over the world between muslims and even non-muslims as well talk about it a lot which is feminism our show, of course, is, a, is an Islamic show, so it's going to be about Islam and feminism, or feminism and Islam, and the compatibility between them, if there is any. So our guests today are, um, starting from the right, Sister um, uh, Maryam, yes, <laughs> Sister Maryam Ahmed, who is from UCID, University of Sydney. She just graduated uh, a few days ago uh, with a degree in uh, pharmacy, so congratulations. How are you? Good, alhamdulillah, how are you? Alhamdulillah, very Thank good. you for the invitation on the show. It's right. quite exciting to be on the first Alchemy of Truth um, episode. Yes, we actually spent a long time, uh, you know, just looking at people we could interview. We had, you know, um, calls from Michael Jackson, <laughs> Kevin Rudd. We're like, no, <laughs> we want people we can work with. So, yeah. I know, we're going to, inshallah. Hey, Michael Jackson's not dead, but that's another show, inshallah. Um, yeah, so... Um, Sister uh, Maryam is going to be talking to us about um, feminism and why she thinks it's not um, compatible with Islam. We also have with us Sister Hajar Rafiq, uh, who is uh, from University of Sydney. Yes, Sydney. And she's also finishing her pharmacy degree in technical technology. <laughs> uh, wh- what is it? I'm actually doing a master's in teaching at the moment. Oh, yes, master's in teaching, yes, alhamdulillah. Uh, that's good. Uh, and um, thank you also for coming uh, to our show. I'm glad you didn't get lost from the way to the um, train station. <laughs> women know directions. Yeah, of course. But I don't know, women in Fairfield, it's quite dangerous. <laughs> and we also have with us Sister Mihal Krayim, uh, who is uh, doing her PhD in something complicated at UTS. Yes, it's not at all complicated. Um, it's a, it's just a PhD in communications. PhD in communications. Subhanallah. I, I fell asleep right in the middle of that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll bring you in to um, tell us a little bit about, about that in the future, inshallah. 
Um, so, yeah, we have um, our three guests today, inshallah. I'm going to be trying to keep them apart in, in the most halal way possible. So I think we have a uh, wooden stick somewhere. <laughs> inshallah. Um, so, yeah, first thing we're going to talk about is with Sister Mihal, who, I don't know, do you identify as being an Islamic feminist or is this just something that you like to entertain as a, a venue of uh, ideology? Yeah, just so that I can be invited on various radio programs. Okay. No, um, I guess I do have um, an affiliation with what can be termed Islamic feminism. And would I call myself a Muslim feminist? I suppose I would. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing now you want an explanation of what that might mean. I guess the idea of feminism is that um, it's a struggle for women's rights. And the idea of Islamic feminism, or being called a Muslim feminist, is working for those rights within the bounds of Sharia. So recognizing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordained um, certain things for men and certain things for women, and he has bestowed upon us many blessings, but also that there is a very specific way of life for us as Muslims. And as a Muslim feminist, I guess all that means is asking for those rights that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already um, ordained for us um, and just making sure that women... Particularly, I guess, it's hard to talk about it in different contexts, but in the Australian context, as an Australian Muslim feminist, if you want to keep adding some more labels, it's about working for the rights of Muslim women and women in general within this country. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, all of that can be said as just being an Australian Muslim woman. Um, How does feminism help you in doing that? Yeah. Well, I think the thing is that the, the argument that's sort of put forward is that Islam gives us these rights... Um, as someone once told me, stop asking for more. But really, you know, Muslim women aren't really asking for anything other than what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already given us. To say that you can say that this falls under Islam is absolutely right. And if you didn't want to identify as a Muslim, as calling yourself a feminist, I don't really mind whether or not you don't use the label, I guess is my thing. But the idea of feminism is that it is specifically focusing on the struggle of women. And so as a Muslim feminist, while there are all these other issues um, within Islam that you're looking at, your focus is specifically on women's rights and the empowerment of women, essentially. Okay. Now we'll start with you, Sister Maryam. What is your view about feminism? Because, I mean, again, having immersed myself in feminism over the last four weeks, I'm quite sick of it. <laughs> but uh, I understand that, that it's quite diverse. And it's, it, it's actually very similar. I'm not sure if um, you guys would agree with me or not, but it's very similar to being called a Muslim. Mm-hmm. So you have some crazy out there Muslims who, you know, get high on drugs and stuff and say this is Islam. And then you have people who blow themselves up and say this is Islam. Mm-hmm. And it's all under the same uh, sort of umbrella of Islam. So can this not be the same? I mean, can not the same thing be said for feminism as well? Okay. Yeah. So basically, you know, trying to see if there can be compatibility or not. Um, the thing to look at here is with feminism, um, it's different from Islam obviously in terms of its history um, what it was founded on and its theory and its elements and it is obviously a foreign concept. Um, with what Sister Mahal was saying, you know, it does sound very noble, like um, we're just calling for what Islam has already given us under the bounds of Sharia so basically working within an Islamic framework now um, I could challenge this and you know, how many um, like Muslim feminists out there actually do work only within that Islamic framework and do not introduce the concepts of democracy um, liberal and secular sort of ideas and flavour that um, in, you know, in their call, in their struggle for women's rights and use those lenses when, um, you know, when calling for women's rights and stuff. So although you know, I'm all for you know, calling for the, the rights of women and um, women ha- 
having those rights that the Sharia has provided, that's fine as long as you don't take those um, liberal and those democratic lenses and then use those to sort of, um, you know, interpret the ayat in a way. Because feminine, like one key, I'll just um, sort of bring this up, one of the key aspects of Islamic feminism is reinterpretation or ishtihad of verses that seem to discriminate against women. I'm not too sure, you know, and I'd be really interested to see what um, Sister Mahal's thoughts on is ishtihad this because is. Because I, I read this in, um, I don't know if I should be saying her name on radio, uh, Arshad Menji's book. Okay. She talks a lot about ishtihad and yep. how she discovered it. Yep. Yeah, is no, this what you're talking about? Yeah, no, pretty well. well maybe it's funny that you say, she says that she discovered it. But um, see, it is, it is a, a very key component of um, Islamic feminism because um, what they say is um, with the, um, the Qur'an is a divine source and that human interpretation, ishtihad, can be flawed. And what happened is back in, like, back in the day, um, you know, because the scholars were male and stuff, you know, they created sort of this patriarchal, you know, Islam which, you know, sometimes discriminated against women. So what we need to do um, in the 21st century is, you know, train our Islamic scholars, our muftis, mu- like Muslim females, which I'm all for, mind you, that's that's fine. But in, as long as they're qualified, to go back and reinterpret the verses in a way which will not be discriminating against women. Yep. Now, that's not the that's not the purpose of ishtihad. You can't just go back for the purpose of I'm going to go back and reinterpret Quranic verses so they do, so they don't discriminate against women. Ishtihad, you have to go in with a sincere intention that you're going to try your best to interpret what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala intended. So if you're going already, if you're going into it with a bias that I'm going to make it better for women, then I think that is a bit dangerous. So but, that's I mean, I one guess issue I have with, you know, the compatibility and stuff. So. Yep. Okay. Oh, no, I, I was just kind of going to say that as we, like, so there are competing schools of thought <laughs> within this Islamic feminism thing. Yeah. And recognizing that feminism is a movement. Yeah. So that means that within it, there are contradictions and yeah. there are tensions. Yeah. And so there are different ideas. People have different ideas for what is going to be best. Yeah. But in just in what you were saying, I think as a Muslim feminist, I think one of the beliefs is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does know what is best for women. Yeah, and course. it's not going back to reinterpret those ayat, okay. but rather going back to the time of the Prophet and looking at how women in that day and age functioned okay. and the various roles that they played and how they sought their own rights. And if you're going to look at, for example, gender relationships, then the relationship of the Prophet wasallam with his wives yeah. and using those examples as um, examples for our own relationships yeah. and for our own selves. Yeah. So I, but I completely acknowledge that there are feminists out and there. Definitely, and there is a wide spectrum even within Islamic feminism, That's which right. is why I kind of have a problem with it. Yeah. Because where do you draw the line, and which one do you actually pick? When you're, when you know, when you identify yourself as an Islamic feminist, um, you have to, like, you know, you have to keep in mind that, you know, you're, it's like a mixed boat, basically. You've got, you've got the ones that are more extreme, which are basically replacing, you know, retranslating certain, certain, um, you know, verses of the Quran to make them more friendly for women, or you got, you know, you, or you got sort of, you know, perhaps ones like you, which are, for example, looking back at how they functioned as a society and looking at the example of the Prophet Sallallahu and how he treated his wives, and yeah, I'm all for that. You know, that's fine. So I'm, I was really interested in what, you know, your views were going to be on, you know, how you sort of identified yourself within this diverse... But again, you know, I mean, th- there already. is a very strong um, sort of... For many Muslims, there is a very strong sentiment against feminism. I mean, again, just like I mentioned before, they will look at the worst cases of feminism. And um, this is something I may want to ask um, Hajar about as well. Um why is it that, and, and this is not just for feminism, but it's also for many other um, ideas um, and uh, I don't want to say ideologies, but, you know, um, concepts which can be beneficial for Muslims but which are not accepted 
just because they're they're you know from the West, for example, or they're not from inside Islam? Well, I think it's not as simple as it not being from Islam or being from it being from the West. I think we can't um, divorce labels from their connotations and their history. And taking feminism and sort of defining it through narrow lenses and saying it's only about um, safeguarding women's rights, I think that kind of uh, tucks away all the other uh, all the other elements that existed in in its history, especially what it meant for Muslims in the Muslim world and how it was used as a tool of colonialism to kind of suppress the Muslim women and supposedly to liberate them from the Islam. So um, in theory, we can look at it and say, look, yeah, well, we, can, we can agree with it in theory, but the way it's been put into practice and what it's meant for Muslims and Muslim women across the world, um, it gives us a, 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 a strong reason to, you know, to reject that idea and to reject that movement and not want to be a part of it. And I think one interesting thing is that um, uh, there are a lot of um, Muslim feminists that challenge feminists within the feminist movement. As you said, there are, as Mahal said, there are ex- existing tensions and um, uh, clashes that exist within the movement itself because it's, it's, not, it's not a monolithic movement at all. Um, but it's interesting how there are some Muslim feminists trying to gain credit for, um, trying to gain a position rather within this movement and trying so hard to kind of uh, present Islamic fem- feminism as a valid um, interpretation of feminism. And I think what's interesting about that is that if you're going to be fighting so hard to get other um, subgroups, let's say, under feminism to accept the validity of Islamic feminism, then in turn you have to accept the vali- validity of uh, the other subgroups that exist. And, you know, there are some groups that call for liberation through, I don't know, through sexual uh, ex- uh, experiments or whatever, through, um, you know, there's this term called the lipstick movement, the lipstick feminism, sorry, where they um, see it valid to, you know, dress in a provocative manner or to kind of rediscover the femininity, so-called, and um, uh, as, as as a form of kind of liberating um, women. And so I think it's it's... It's strange to kind of force ourselves into a circle where there are so many kind of uh, contradictions with what Islam calls for. So I wouldn't, as a Muslim woman, as a Muslim woman, wouldn't even want to go um, anywhere near those those kind of um, ideas. And yeah. this actually leads us to two questions. Um, the first of which is to Mihal to tell us about the different types of Islamic feminism, and also to uh, Maryam and to Hajar to tell us about the different. Muslim feminist um, individuals that you guys know because I can right now name about three or four Muslim feminists whose ideas are you know vastly different from each other some of them are completely not within the world of Islam and others are actually no I mean they're very um, Islamic um, so we'll start with you Mihal yeah, so I, I guess you can simplistically kind of say that there are two scopes there are people who say that um, it's almost a secular Um, it's called Islamic feminism, but it's almost a secular kind of movement. And what they really want to do is completely reform Islam. And that's obviously, I mean, and I don't really belong to that school. So I, you know, so it's ideologies and not something that I identify with. I don't believe we need to reinterpret Quran and Sunnah. That's not what I believe. Mm -hmm. However, there's the other opposing school, which says that we're aware of all of these rights. We know that they're here and be, and, and, we can draw on them to make sure that women in today's society are getting what they need, what they deserve, and are having their rights upheld. Now, why that's important 
in knowing what Islam says about women and educating ourselves as to what exactly um, the multiple role of women um, in Islam is, is because Islam doesn't go into something completely... When Islam came as a religion, it came into a culture that already existed. So it was... Yes, it came as a religion, but there was already a culture in play that it had to contend with, in a sense, that it had to navigate its social expectations and it had to reform that culture, in a sense. And that's what's happened whenever Islam has spread anywhere around the world. So when Islam... Say if we talk about Islam in Australia, we're contending with as Muslims in Australia. We're contending with Australia that is a patriarchal society. Society, and we're contending a lot of the time because Muslims are from migrant backgrounds. We're contending with our migrant cultures as well. And often they're also patriarchal. And what happens in, in that kind of um, negotiation of multiple identities here in this country is that culture wins out over Islam. And so what Islamic feminism is saying is saying we're focusing on the rights of women. We're acknowledging that this is what Islam says and we're making the world a better place for women within the bounds of Sharia. We're not going outside it. We're not saying that, you know, we don't want anything. We don't want a new Islam, essentially. We want the Islam that we know, that we love, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us is best for us. And, I mean, that's kind of... I wanted to also ask you, um, it's a very interesting question that uh, Hajar posed which is, as she mentioned, the first, or I guess the second wave of feminism was the one that was most sexually explicit. Um, Now, when you're reading this stuff, you're no doubt also reading their writings as well. Yes. I mean, if you're also attending certain conferences or something, you are with these people as well. Definitely. Um, How do you feel interacting with them and and having them... um, very obviously, you know, talk condescendingly to you or look down on you because they still see you from their um, perspectives as being, you know, downtrodden, sort of a woman that we have to get out of the hijab and just... Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I've spoken at multiple feminist conferences and part of um, the issue is, you're right, when you're contending with Western feminism, there's absolutely condescension. Not from everyone. Some people are are definitely um, willing to embrace your idea of feminism and accept that. And for a lot of feminists, as long as you call yourself a feminist, how you enact that feminism is totally and completely up to you and, you know, open for interpretation. Um, Yeah, I I know what it's like to be looked down upon and to have people say condescending things to you. But I have a stake in the way women are treated because I am a woman, because I have younger sisters, because I know people who have young children, and I want the world to be a better place for women. So I can totally distance myself from this movement, and I can say that I'm not going to have anything to do with it. But if I'm not engaging with these people, then how am I? How are they supposed to know how important the hijab is for women? How are they supposed to know that that's actually a valid choice for women? Who's going to educate them if we're not having these dialogues? And so, yeah, I do identify with a, a certain stream of feminism, and I redefine it because it works. Uh, now, Sister Hajar, um, I also go back to my previous question before. It's Hajar, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Good. Um, which is, w- when I talk about Islamic feminism, or when you think about Islamic feminism, who are you thinking that is misrepresenting Islam, or who is just generally pr- trying to um, present a model of Islamic feminism? Well, I think on the extreme ends, you have people like you know, Amina Wudud, and... Um, <coughs> the likes of her but I mean I do I do recognize and acknowledge that as Mihal said not all Muslim feminists if they wish to label themselves as such 
call for the kind of things that Amina Wudud would be calling for. And, you know, Mihal herself kind of labels herself as, as a Muslim feminist and I know for a fact, as she even has said herself, that she's not calling for a reformation of Islam from a feminist perspective. But I still wonder, why do you then use the label feminism or feminist to kind of attach yourself to a movement that has such an ugly history for Muslim women? Um, I've also, I'd also like to make a point. Um, it was interesting in um, Mahal's discussion. She was talking about the, um, you know, the coalescence of identities and the migrant identities, and you know, the, um, you know, the Islamic identities, and all these sort of when these identities come together, and you know, feminism for her sort of, you know, comes out in a way to kind of, you know, bring back that Islam that we love to ensure that women get those rights. Well, it seems as if Mahal has identified that the problem is not within Islam. So when you say Islamic feminism, you're sort of suggesting, and this is how I see it, that this is my view, that Islam has something lacking in it that you know cannot address um you know cannot address not just the rights of women but like cannot address the fact that people cannot implement islam correctly that it needs um and therefore you need feminism to come help remind people of the rights that they have when islam already in of itself already you know addresses um the issues of women um and and it's timeless in that sense so if the problem is for example with culture and um you know i'll be the first to say there are many cultural practices of muslims out there um that muslims do that are, you know, in direct contradiction to Islam, you know, um, forced marriages, um, you know, going on the extremes in the subcontinent, acid burning, um, you know, there's just so many, um, you know, um, subjugating the woman to her home, not letting her out, you know, there's just so many. But if culture is the problem, then why are you suggesting and, you know, or why are some Muslim feminists out there suggesting that it's Islam that's a problem and that, you know, there needs to be reinterpretation or or if they don't say that Islam needs to be reinterpreted, why do you have to fall under the boat of feminism in order to, you know, do what you have to do in, in order to sort of raise awareness of women's rights? Why can't you just work under the umbrella of Islam to do that? Because as Nihal said herself, um, although I admire her for um, engaging in dialogue with these people, I think, that's, I think that's really noble because these are women, feminists are women that, you know, may sincerely, you know, uh, sincerely care about the rights of women. Those are that are doing it, you know, correctly. <laughs> you know, you know, not 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 too out there. But um, you know, and I, I mean, I do respect her for engaging in dialogue with them as a Muslim woman, and you know, and and educating them about you know the rights and the beauty and what Islam has to offer women. But can can you not do that under just Islam and not feminism? Let because, me ask you a as question. Hajar said, the negative con- connotations it, its history has to the extent where even Islamic feminists themselves, like Amina Wadud, and um, there's another one, I just forgot her name, um, Margaret um, Badran, she actually, you know, there was times in her sort of career as a feminist where she actually didn't want people to identify her as such. And she told people, don't identify me as a Muslim feminist because of the misconceptions that were around that and the fear that people had with that label. But then with t- as time changed and then people started using you know, the term feminist, she's like, as long as it achieves my purpose sort of thing, you know, and as long as it, I can use that term. Yeah. So is it really about, you know, so that's, that's an important way to look at it. Let well, me I ask think, you this yeah. question, um, Mariam. Uh, this is a question actually from one of our listeners. Um, women suffer dis- sorry, disproportionately compared to men in Muslim-majority countries. Right. A lot of these sufferings, such as, like you said before, forced marriages, FGM, rape, attacks, denial of education, mm-hmm. are denying the rights ordained to women in the Qur'an. Yeah. How can you not support a movement which seeks to restore God-given rights to women? Are there not Islamic movements in the Muslim world, like uh, Hezbollah Tahrir, for example, or Islamic Brotherhood, or... Um, Really, these are the only two movements that I can think of. <laughs> that you can think right? of. Right? Yeah. Um, these are movements as well. Yeah. And they are not uh, on the, uh, like, 
you know, according exactly to the Quran and the Sunnah. I mean, of course, they are based on the Quran and the Sunnah, but uh, the way they dress, the way they speak, the way they call people, these are all things that they have to come up with okay. to face a reality. How is Islamic feminism different? Okay. Okay. Well, um, would you prefer me to answer that or sort of the original sort of question that you're asking? Because there's two now. <laughs> um, you guys can answer the two questions. Okay. I'll start off with the original question. How can I not support a movement that's calling for the removal of all these things? Okay. Um, the intentions of the movement, you know, they can be noble. For example, you have groups out there, like, you know, we were sort of talking about before. It's not all about, no, not all the Muslim feminists out there are about reinterpreting the Quran and Sunnah and coming up with some whack, you know, understanding where, you know, we'll be, you know, we'll be like, you know, mimicking the lipstick movement, for example, because we all know what can happen. You know, if you don't draw the line um, as to freedoms and as to, and using those democratic lenses to, you know, interpret the Quran, we all know what can happen to us. And we might be, um, you know, we might end up with the same problems that, you know, you know, the West currently has with their women and what, what happens, you know, sort of what, what's happened with them. So with um, the movements, they're, they're, prob- they're, they're most likely, they're, they're, there is actually movements in the Muslim world that do things like, for example, I was just reading up about sisters in Malaysia. They go out there educating um, the masses about domestic violence and, you know, and why that's wrong. Okay, you know, great. You know, of course, like I, the intentions behind that I support, but I think the dangers behind these movements, number one, like, Okay, so there's the, there's men out there that are you know which um there's men out there which have bas- which are not following Islam, which are not implementing the correct Islam, and, and that's like on a mass scale, pretty much you know because like we said, the subjugation of women is on a mass scale in the Muslim world. But you have to look at the bigger picture, and um, why is it that these you know un-Islamic um, ways of thinking what has allowed them to prevail in the Muslim world, and why is it like that? Well. The current regimes at the moment, and there's there's a lack of an Islamic education system, which is like Mahal was saying, a lack of an Islamic education system, which is allowing the you know the pure forms of Islam that we know and love to be out there, and the examples of the Prophet, for example, and how he used to you know Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and how he used to treat his wife. You know those examples aren't being purported out there to the public. Why? Because it's it's all from the top, and the the regimes and the despotic regimes that are out there, they're basically providing the fertile soil for these types of ways of thinking to prevail. Um, in the sense that, th- for example, men that you know use violence against their wives aren't are just going unpunished. Rape sometimes it's the, the rape victims, the women that are being thrown into jail. There's no there's no proper Islamic. So then, system if, out if there. these people were put into jail, that problem would be fixed. Not entirely, no. But basically, the women are not living under a system which protects their rights and honors. They're like, like in the West. No, not like in the West exactly, but um, basically, as we know, like because it was in the past, yeah, because right? it, there's Islam, and we're talking about Islam. And Islam, that's, Islam is the one that's gonna, um, that's gonna ensure that we get all our rights. So therefore, only Islam. Yeah, pretty much. Islam, Islam is out there to ensure that women will get, you know, the best of rights. But, and but the things that we mentioned the, before, like mm-hmm. um, you know, the uh, you know, rape and. Um, acid attacks yep, and, and I see what you're uh, saying, yeah. keeping women in their yep. homes. Even this doesn't happen much here. Yep, yep, definitely. Well, these solutions in these movements that are out there, while their intentions are noble, I think that they're only a band-aid solution and they will not 
you know, completely free women from the subjugation that they're undergoing in the Muslim world at the moment. And I think, and this is my opinion, that there needs to be a change from the top. There needs to be Islamic education systems where, you know, ch- sort of children are taught from day one, you know, you know what the rights of women are and how you should be, you know, how the Islamic family unit is supposed to be. And I think that sort of change is the change that, inshallah, will free women from the subjugation that they're currently experiencing. And I'd like to add to that, as we've seen in the Arab uprising, that's the alternative that women are actually calling for. Because I don't think lobbying governments in the Muslim world, similar to what, kind of, what sort of happens in the West, I don't think that will work against the likes of the tyrants that are currently at the top. So, yeah. but Can I just also say, in ter- talking about the uprisings in the Arab world, a lot of those women have identified themselves as feminists. <laughs> and a lot of them have said that they're working through a feminist kind of movement. Yeah, that's and fine, yeah. in a sense, who, I, I guess the thing that I'm saying, like that I kind of want to say is, I feel like sometimes it's it's a bit of a discussion about semantics. Yep. We don't want to call ourselves feminists. We don't want to do this. We don't want to do that. And I, sorry. So, no, no, sorry. I just wanted to ask a question. Yes. Uh, when you're talking about Islamic feminists yep. and what uh, Mariam was talking about, those uh, sisters in Malaysia who were going out and educating about domestic violence, is Islamic feminism represented by application or by qualification? Are you called an Islamic feminist because you call yourself an Islamic feminist or is it because of what you're doing? Um. That's a very interesting question, and I think it's a little bit of both. But I think for some people, it'll be um, something, that, a cause that they identify with, and for other people, it'll be actually a matter of doing it. And part of like what you were saying with people going out there and educating people about domestic violence, I think that that's fantastic, and that would definitely fall under the realm of feminism, mm-hmm. right? And so, and when we talk about things like, you know, and what draws me to the feminist cause, I should say, is that one in three women in Australia are victims of sexual violence. Yeah. That's a massive problem. Yeah. One in 20 men are perpetrators of sexual violence, wow. which means in our society and in our circle of friends, of the three women sitting here, statistically speaking, one of us would be a victim of sexual violence. Of the men in our lives that we know, statistically speaking, at least one of those people would be a perpetrator of sexual violence. That's the cause, root, I guess, that I would work for in um, in terms of feminism. It's those things. It's eliminating that um, that violence and eliminating that lack of empowerment on behalf of women. Because the reason that women feel that they need to stay in relationships and abusive relationships is because they feel that there are no social um, kind of structures beyond that to take care of them. They've got nowhere to turn to. They feel shame in admitting that. And particularly women in the West, for example, Muslim women in the West, are really afraid of, not all of them, but some of them are afraid of coming out and saying, look, I'm a victim of domestic violence because they're stuck in this double bind. The West is just going to, or if they go to Western women, you know, in inverted commas, they're going to feel as if they're being, um, they're confirming stereotypes that already exist about Muslim men. Okay, so what we need are services, and I'm not saying that all Muslim men are like that, but what we need are services out there to be able to support these women. And I would say that those services um, fit under a feminist cause. And, you know, absolutely within the bounds of Sharia, there's nothing wrong with setting up a refuge to house these women, to these women, to help these women out. And, And I guess... For me, so it's one that I identify with that cause, and to my own work, I'm I'm a sociologist, and my job is to get um, not just women, but people generally, my students, and in my writing, to to get people to think differently about issues of sexual violence, to no longer place the blame on the woman, and to make men take responsibility for those acts of sexual violence, and. That's how I guess I came about in terms of identifying myself as feminist. So it's both theory and practice. I think I somewhat agree, largely agree with Mihal's point on the fact that 
um, we're largely arguing here about semantics, though I don't discount the importance of that because there's a lot in a label. Um, I 100% I agree with Mihaer that there, there are a lot of um, issues and problems that Muslim women or women in general are facing, you know, sexual violence being one of the big ones and domestic violence, you know, being another. And um, But I suppose... There's no disagreement in that, and there's no disagreement on the on the fact that our you know our solution lies in Islam, and we turn to Islam for our um, you know for our empowerment and all the rest of it. Except I, I I'm trying to kind of get my head around how Islamic feminism seeks to um, uproot the oppression that Muslim women or women in general face across the world. That's a very interesting point because. Um Again, as a man, my understanding of Muslim feminism is very important for Muslim women who want to work with non-Muslims as well. Mm. If you're a Muslim woman going to work with non-Muslims from either in Australia or in other third world countries, then they would not accept you because you're not of them. Mm-hmm. The, the, the um, I guess, principles you're working with are alien to them. While if you're a Muslim feminist, then the feminist in you would you know, um, appeal more to them. And mm-hmm. that would be the sort of... Am I going in the right path, or no? I can't understand what you were saying. But what was the question again? Sorry, I, what, what was the question? Oh, I was asking? I was I, wondering how what? Islamic feminism seeks to kind of uproot the oppression uh, that that Muslim women face because some of the examples that you gave, um, and I don't think you were suggesting that that's going to solve domestic violence or sexual abuse or anything like that. But all of those, while they help the conditions that women face, they are temporary and band aid solutions. And I just have a question as well for Mahal. Um, in terms of Islamic feminism, um, feminism in its definition is based, uh, one of its definitions anyway, is working for equality between the genders. How is you as, as a Muslim, how do you as an Islamic feminist sort of, um, what are your views on equality between the genders? Yeah, and, um, and how does your work reflect that? I guess in terms of when I'm talking about equality between genders, I'm talking about a spiritual equality. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the fact that um, in the eyes of Los Pantala, there is no difference between a man and myself. That's plain and simple. Um, I can understand completely that that means that um, the role of men and women are complementary, particularly in a relationship. However, I think one thing that I am very passionate about is that the role of women is not merely confined to the private sphere. So, you know, there are women in the public sphere and that going back to, you know, Islamic teaching says that's like Aisha Dalila. Radiallahu anha was one of the most amazing scholars and such an asset to Islam. Khadija radiallahu anha was a businesswoman. So taking all of these kinds of examples and being able to show women that actually there are multiple things that you can be and multiple things that you can do. And now part of how Islamic feminism, and I don't know that this is specific to Islamic feminism, I have to say, but um, it might be a universal feminist thing, um, how it will uproot these kinds of problems is by teaching women that actually there's a sense of empowerment that to some extent you actually need to take care of yourself because if we look at the statistics um the majority of people who are going to be homeless um when they get older are women okay i'll be really quick so are are going to be women so if we um make women more independent and particularly more educated uh, when they're younger then they're not going to be in a position of less financial security when they're older if for whatever reason they don't have a family to look after them they don't have a husband so in a way it's teaching you to be self-sufficient as well and i think that's a part important part and we have a um 
question from Sister Hajar and a question okay. from a, a Facebook person. But uh, I actually have a comment, not a question. Comment, no worries. But uh, the adhan is now at eight thirty-five. So okay, we'll, no problem. Uh, um, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to highlight the fact that we shouldn't forget that um, feminism, Western feminism, which is where you know feminism you know originated from, has a completely different experience and um, sort of. View or that is very interesting, but we can't <laughs> cover that in the 30 seconds that are given. 30 seconds, bro. So, insh- yeah, after the adhan, we can discuss more of it, okay. inshallah. Uh, dear listeners, uh, we're going to um, go to the break just for the adhan, and we'll be back in another three minutes, inshallah. We're back. I'd like to read a comment from uh, our Facebook page uh, into our listeners. If you're listening out there, um, the Facebook page is facebook.com slash alchemy of truth. And if you can't spell it, you don't deserve to be listening to the show. <laughs> The uh, message, the comment is from uh, Sahar Gumkhor. I'm sorry if I pronounce your name wrong. Uh, I'm surprised a sociologist is reducing this tension between feminism and Islam to feminism, to feminist methodology being simply of helping women. Now, this is what Hajar was saying before, wasn't it? That feminism, in its in its core and its basis, is not something that was for the benefit of third world third world women let alone muslim women so um i don't know like from my readings my very in-depth readings over the last, <laughs> the last month. one week two weeks <laughs> was uh, the uh, the first wave of femi- feminism was middle class white women looking for votes it was completely dissociated with the third world or even outside of i don't know england and europe yep. so are you hijacking feminism I guess, in a sense, um, what we're what Muslim feminists are saying is that there's a history. So the, the white middle class movement, for example, that first wave of feminism started with women being frustrated that they weren't having a public kind of opinion. They wanted the essentially it was about the right to vote. Eventually, is what it became about. Okay, and I completely understand that it was used as a colonial tool. I'm a post-colonial theorist, and I totally get that. But I think what Muslim feminism is saying is that, you know what, there's a history other than a Western history, that there is another history that we can draw upon that is equally or more so more beneficial for women than this history that we have here. And that's a challenge to that. And that's what, if I mean, in the post-colonial studies realm, what they do is go back to traditions that aren't Western, and they try and own those kinds of concepts. And so in a sense, yeah, I guess Muslim... But don't they already own it? I mean, um, this is something that uh, my father used to tell me back in the 60s in Iraq. Uh, There was a very strong wave of communist feminism in which women took off their hijabs and everything. And the same thing with uh, the wars in Afghanistan and in uh, Iraq as well. Now... That um, I mean, Afghanistan. I remember that it was all about the niqa, the the what it, not the niqa, what is it called burqa. the burqa, and, and you know how the women need to take it off, and now the women still wearing it because it's a cultural thing. And the same thing in Iraq. I think the U.S. government used the term "rape room" thirty-seven times in the week prior to the war. Things haven't really changed. It's just the, using this concept and having you know, I guess, feminists leading the charge of women to save the Muslim women and then they show you the models of the Muslim women they're saving and in most cases these Muslim feminist women that they come out with uh, have completely taken off the hijab symbol of Islam and so you know you see some of them running away with US soldiers and you know others uh, completely rejecting any sort of Islamic uh, scholarship or structure so I mean how do you um, work with that? I guess one of the important things um, with any movement is that it has to come from within the culture um, and within um, 
what like the cultural framework that you're talking about. So in the example of um, Afghanistan in particular, it's Western feminism that's being imposed there and Western ideals of what is liberating for women without consultation with these women to talk about what they want. So what's important is for it to come from within. It has to be this organic movement that comes from within that culture. And you can't... So even as someone in Australia, I can understand the Australian context. I can sympathise with the women overseas in a third world context and I can definitely do everything in my power to help them, but they have to drive that. It has to come from them because otherwise it is absolutely about imposition and about telling people what you think is right and what they what they think is wrong. Yeah. Uh, sorry, just uh, another comment from uh, Sahar Gumkhor. Again, I apologise if... Uh, I pronounce your name wrong. Um, I elaborate then to make sure my point is clear. Feminism, feminism isn't simply about helping women. To define it as such is to juxtapose Islam as not helping women. The tension lies at the epistemological. Oh my God, <laughs> epistemological. That's right. Uh, Knowledge-based and political level. What notion of agency, freedom, equality, and ideal subjectivity are Islamic feminists operating under? Wow. Okay. Um, that's a, a pretty big question. I guess the thing is, if you're defined, that you're saying that, well, I guess in terms of agency, like they're all drawn from Islamic principles. So that idea of agency is, I, I guess, is that question kind of referring to this idea that um, in terms of... I guess her um, question is, between. is what you're doing, is it Islamic feminism or is it feminist Islam? Fe- okay, right, right. What, what is more dominant? It's called feminism because it focuses on the rights of women like it focuses on that specific element of it and it's islamic because its principles and its basis is islamic and i think look i I can understand that there's a politics around it i can understand all of that but i still think that at the end of the day it's just semantics and we're we're playing with these kind of words because we're in this position to be able to sit here and have these philosophical arguments when there is actually in a way real work to be done. If you don't want to call yourself a feminist, don't call yourself a feminist. Totally cool with that. Support the cause. Don't support the label. I don't care. But don't dismiss the entire movement based on the fact that there are certain elements of it that you don't agree with. I guess that's what I'm saying. Uh, Hadra, did you want to say something? Uh, I was going to say as well that, again, it's not just about semantics and we we can't just discard the fact that we're focusing on semantics because, you know, as I said, there's, there's a lot in a label. And you kind of see that in Muslim women that there are some Muslim women that don't necessarily understand feminism very well, but because it's the popular thing to be, it's a popular thing to be, uh, to be a feminist, they, you know, they will find any opportunity to label themselves as such or kind of make feminist sort of comments. And um, I've seen this in certain scenarios where, I'll give you an example, and I gave this example to a friend the other day. Uh, We were... At a, um, we were at some sort of da'wah meeting a couple of years ago, and we were tra- we were trying to come up with a structure for um, a new kind of body that we were, we wanted to create. And someone wanted to insert a clause saying, "Oh, let's have let's have two women in X and Y position." And I thought, "Why? You don't have any such clause for men, do you?" And they're like, oh, no, but, you know, you know how they say that women are oppressed and all the rest of it. So we we need to kind of show them that that's not the case or we need to sort of we need to make a special room for women to get out there and to be in these leadership positions, which I think that sort of mentality 
just reinforces the fact that Muslim women can't do things for themselves, that they need um, special assistance or special kind of... This is very interesting. This may not be connected. I'm not sure if this is connected or not to my question. I think what I'm trying to say is that the the term itself kind of conditions people think to conditions people to think in a specific way. That's yeah. what I'm trying to yeah. get at. No, I mean, um, uh, sorry, I meant that your uh, sentiments reflect a question that I want to ask, mm. uh, which is the idea of patriarchy. Is Islam a patriarchal religion? And if it is, why is that wrong? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think that's a really good question. Um... As as far as I understand it, it is. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of particularly if you're looking at something like the family unit, for example, like, I mean, if you're breaking it down to that very basics, then, yeah, Allah Pantada has said that, essentially, the male is in charge of the household. Yeah. Um, but then there aren't... I, I don't think patriarchy is necessarily a problem until it becomes misogynistic. And there's a difference between misogynism and patriarchy. Okay. It's one thing to be able to accept that, for example, the male is the head of a household. It's quite another for a man to take away all a woman's rights and say, everything goes through me, I know everything, and treat that person yeah. badly, not giving them their rights. I think we all agree with that. And yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's kind of the difference. So okay. I think feminism challenges misogyny. And in terms of, and I would say that, okay, Western feminism probably challenges patriarchy. But I think in terms of Islam, it's about freeing women from this, from anything that's going to get in the way of their spiritual development and take and removing those obstacles from their paths. And so whether that's sexual violence, whether that's domestic violence, whether that's, um, you know, not being able to take care of their children, whatever it is, it's about finding those um, the mechanisms to deal with that. Um, I'd just like to make a comment. Um, Feminism challenging misogyny, Islam in itself challenges misogyny as well. I mean, you have the hadith of the Prophet, you know, the best of you amongst, you know, the best of you is the one who is best to his wife, for example. Um, You know, there's so many examples um, and examples within the deen um, where misogyny is challenged. So therefore, in my argument, why do we need to bring in feminism to address something that Islam has already This is something that's very interesting again. Because it can be argued, and this is not something I'm arguing because I'm a man and I think I'm cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be argued that Islam can be uh, justifiably misogynistic. Because there are a hadith, for example, about beating women. There are a hadith about the woman's place being better at the home in the bedroom uh, than in, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, you know, out in the mosque, for example. Why would you say that's misogynistic, though? It because there are two interpretations. One okay. interpretation okay. would actually keep the woman at home okay. and would okay. beat her if she wants to go out and would not let her, for example, go to certain mosques or go to certain places or even go anywhere under that, that a woman's place is only at the home and when she's out in the market, for example, that's calling for trouble, right? And there's another interpretation, and they're both valid, I think, Can that a woman is able actually <laughs> to go out. Careful, yeah. Yeah, I'm mean, like I know from from. Uh, yeah, sometimes the validity of it and you know po- popular practice according, can really yeah. get mixed up. According so. to um, you know scholarly opinions that mm-hmm. I've understood, is okay. that with the man's uh, knowledge and acceptance and the communication between the man and the woman, she is able to go out, she is able mm-hmm. to work, she is able to go to the mosque, yeah. all of these things, and there is interpretation in that. Okay. And so, isn't there a need for feminism then, or for feministic tendencies to identify that the woman actually has more of a right than just staying at home? And having the man spend on her, like, for example, a pet, 
You understand what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I still don't think there's a need for feminism to come in um, for that. I think, um, you know, those interpretations, those extreme interpretations, um, yeah, they're just sort of, they're flavoured by culture. And um, I think the problem here is not with Islam or the interpretations. It's with um, the implementation and the incorrect implementation. So, yeah, look, I'm all for, obviously, women um, participating in um, in public life, you know, and um, and we see that in the examples, as Mahal was saying, in the examples of, um, you know, the the, Sah- the Sahabiyat and the and the Tabin in the generations of Tabin, and much after, where we had women excelling in scholarships, we had um, we had you know men going to these these women scholars, we had women. I was just reading up on you know women basically having monopoly over the textile industry, which was you know an industry at the time, so economic you know development and profit. So it's so why do we need to have these extreme interpretations? Bring those out to the table. Um, when we know that women were not doing those things back in the day and back in our, you know, glorious Islamic history, if you want to call it that. And then, you know, and then say, oh, look, you know, women are subjugated, so therefore we need to bring in feminism because, to tackle these extreme interpretations exactly. when Islam already has yeah. the tools to I, do that. Yeah, I have yeah. to um, say something. Uh, Sister Miran from uh, the Wife Act has asked a question. Uh, how is Islam justifiably misogynistic? Can there ever be justification for misogyny? Uh, I'm talking on a conceptual <laughs> yeah. level, so this is not an attack against Islam. Or <laughs> <laughs> like Please don't understand it as being such. Another question from uh, Muhammad Taba from RMIT University. I think it's Dr. Muhammad Taba. Um, question to the post-colonial theorist. That's you, Mihal. <laughs> Post-colonialism is much to do with the link of language to power. And so post-colonial scholars attempt to trace the underlying assumptions and historical linkage of particular terms. In this case, how can you say attempting to link the term feminism to its Western history is mere semantics in light of the post-colonial approach? Um, Well, there are definitely lots of post-colonial feminists who resist Western feminism. So I think um, within, like if you look at someone like um, Spivak or um, Mohanty or whoever it is, these are post-colonial feminists. So, I mean, part of post-colonialism is definitely um, finding the roots of language and looking at how language is structured, but I think there's also that element of in post-colonialism of turning things around and owning them and subverting things. Um, and that's, that is part of the movement. Um, of post-colonialism as well. So I'd say that uh, that's equally valid. Um, I've got another question, which I'm going to read. Hina Badr says, um, Some people say, in defense of democracy, Islam espouses democratic principles such as voting. Why not just call for Islam? Likewise, if you're applying feminist ideals are within Islam anyway, then not, why not just call for Islam? Thank you, Sister Hina. This is actually what we're discussing today, so hopefully we may or may not need, uh, reach uh, agreement on that, but we'll see, inshallah. Another comment from Sahar. Uh, it is not simply about semantics. Women throughout our history who have acted in defense of women, feminists today, have imposed the feminist label on when these women did not justify themselves as such. Feminism invokes the liberal tradition and uh, privileges a particular uh, subject, critically engaged, acting out their agency, autonomous, etc. These aren't uh, necessarily pursued within our own tradition. What Islamic feminists are doing are imposing meaning on the experiences of women, which in itself is an act of violence no different from colonial agendas of the past. Hmm. Okay, well, I guess that's a, an opinion. I'm not like. Okay, let me ask you this question, <laughs> Mihal. We, we've 
all under agreement that a large part of feminism can be termed as anti-Islamic because of the ideas and because of sometimes its attitudes are clearly anti-Islamic. The the feminism that you represent or the feminism that you um, apply or study, I mean, let's not talk about percentages, but how much of a minority is it? I mean, is it just you and two people in Melbourne? (laughs) I've got a a (laughs) comment, you know, with that, because Mahal made a very interesting point about, you know, there is real work to be done. And, you know, I I absolutely agree with that point as well. And, you know, instead of just, well, you know, although I love this discussion, you know, there is work to be done and, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, getting overly caught up in, you know, labels and stuff. But I've just got a question, like, for Mahal in terms of that. See, the the form of feminism that you're, you know, you're advocating and stuff, you know, is obviously obviously like you know we could find that more agreeable than like we were saying before you know some of the extreme forms even within islamic feminism but if islamic feminism like if, if all of you can't agree on you know the particular on what on what you guys want or what what's right or how far to go then how is that a viable sort of way forward if if there's just so many very diverse you know understandings of of the way forward for muslim women how can you sort of agree how can you sort of come together and you know work for that you know work for the you know the this again this, still would apply up to how? the same example that i used before which is if islam is represented yeah, in so many different ways women, sorry yeah how, yeah how can you um, move as a Muslim while there's as so a many movement together for the empowerment of women when there's so much dislike, sort of disagreement. As a movement together as a for movement, the just as Islamic feminism, you know, in but itself. Islam itself is so diverse, and within it, and Ahl Sunnah wa Jama'ah, um, as in like we understand it at the time of the Prophet, okay. like them, yep. has been so diverse, and okay. there's been such a spectrum of interpretation within that. Yep. So how at the same so at the same time you're saying if we can't all agree, well in Islam we're not all in agreement. Our our idea of unity is accepting of diversity, right? So it kind of, if all of these people, like essentially this idea, this movement of Islamic feminism fits into this spectrum of what Islam is. And but Islam has boundaries. You see, Islam actually has boundaries as to how diverse you can go and how far you can go. Whereas in feminism, there's no like higher structure. There's no like, there's no boundaries. Islamic feminism it. is setting the, ba- the boundaries at Sharia. Not 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 all Islamic feminists have. Yeah, but again, yeah, we're talking about one form of feminism. So one we form have to of yeah, Islamic feminism. Of Islamic feminism, yeah. So okay. we have to stick to that. I mean, uh, again, with Muslims, if you get a person coming in and saying, "Why do you want to blow yourself up?" You'd say, "Well, that's not me. That's not my understanding." And so this is the same issue for um, Mihal: is that she doesn't espouse these ideals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But definitely. the uh, the question here is. Is it correct to use the principles of feminism and apply them this way? I guess the, the thing, like the discussion is, are Islam and feminism compatible? And we've looked at elements of feminism being quite compatible with Islam. Like you're saying yourself, why can't we just call it Islam? Well, we can. But since we're addressing issues within the Muslim community we, and their issues relating to women, we refer to it as feminism, I guess, is the thing. So it's that by mere association of it being a women's kind of um, issue is what attributes the, the feminist kind of title and that, yeah, we're totally in a group. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think that elements of it is we've kind of discussed that, yeah, there's diversity, but also elements of this feminist stuff is actually compatible with our Islamic teaching. But then there's also elements which are in total contradiction. Yeah. We're actually... Um I probably should have told you guys before, but (laughs) 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 three minutes left, inshallah. Um, So, um, uh, look, give me 30 seconds of just your rundown. 
You agree with Mihal on everything she said so far? Aspects. Mm, aspects. Yeah. Aspects. Um, okay. Yeah. Let's let's say that you uh, we're not going to involve the the um, um, uh, label of feminism. Okay. But everything that Mihal has said, do you disagree with any of it? She said a lot. So <laughs> trying to think back to. Do you remember um, any time in which you're like, oh, I don't agree with that? I think one point of disagreement, or rather, kind of difference of opinion, I would have is the the on the issue of methodology on fixing the plight of Muslim women, and um, I think that's why I asked the question to Mihal is because I don't see any concrete plan coming from Islamic feminism to liberate these Muslims. And I'd like to go back to the original point that I wanted to make before the 10-second break we had. Um, Feminism, as I was saying, is a completely alien experience uh, to the experience that we've had as the Ummah of Muhammad, as as Muslims. And um, I think we're forgetting the question this whole time we've been talking about labels and what it means or um, and all the rest of it. But we're forgetting to ask what put Muslim women in this situation to begin with. You know, we all acknowledge that Muslim women were liberated under Islam and that our, you know, empowerment comes from Islam and Islam, you know, protected us from all the oppression that exists today. Why are we in this situation uh, that we are in today? Is it because it's um, it's simply a men versus uh, women sort of thing, or is it a systemic problem that exists? And if it's a systemic problem, then the yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> well, then if it's a systemic problem, then obviously we need to be addressing it from a systemic fashion. Um, so, and as as Mariam alluded to earlier, in the Muslim world, for example, it's these regimes that are oppressing the Muslim women through their policies and through the um, suppress. Thank suppress- you very much. Oh. Sorry, but it's just at nine o'clock, the uh, Arab listeners get really antsy. They want to listen to their <laughs> Arabic right. news. Uh, Mihal, you have um, fifteen seconds. Let's say um, that's okay. I've spoken a lot already, but I guess <laughs> basically, I, I think that there is absolutely room for these kind of ideas and a, a women's semi-women's movement within Islam to definitely take place within Islamic principles. Jazakum Allah khairan. I'd like to start by thanking our uh, our guests, our dear guests, for coming into the uh, um, studios in Fairfield, for making the time to come in and talk and share their ideas. Um, uh, thank you very much for coming and for not fighting. I would have preferred more fighting, but that's okay. Jazakum Allah khairan. We have a surprise. Our guest next week is going to be Sister Jamila Hussain, and I'm just posting up her... Uh, a link to her um, thing now, uh, her page. Um, so she's going to also tell us more about feminism, and we can grill her some more, inshallah. Um, so um, we'll uh, look forward to that, inshallah. I'd like also to thank uh, brother, uh, what's his name, Nabil Yusuf, for coming up with our introductory music bit. Jazakallah Nabil, it's very kind of you. And um, again, I'd like to thank our listeners and uh, the people who posted on Facebook. Uh, thank you guys very much and see you next week inshallah assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh